We begin tonight in our study of Judges in chapter 13. If you turn there with me, please. Judges chapter 13. Verse 1, And the children of Israel did evil again in the sight of the Lord, and the Lord delivered them into the hand of the Philistines forty years. If you have a marginal Bible, you may see that that phrase, did evil again, means added to commit. What was this evil that they again added to commit? Idolatry. Idolatry. Idolatry was an evil that they committed over and over again. And it's the same today, even among professing believers. We're all guilty of it. And you may say, well, Brother David, I I don't commit idolatry. I don't worship a graven image. I don't worship a statue. I don't worship a carving. Well, before you say that you don't commit idolatry, you might first consider the definition of what it is. The definition of an idol is an image or representation of God used as an object of worship. An idol is just that. Sadly, we all have idols that we worship in one way or another. I suppose, though, the biggest idol that men and women worship today is the idol of self. The idol of self. That word image comes from the word imagination. It means creativity or vision, inspiration, invention. It's man's fallen imagination that causes them to form new ideas and create images or concepts of things that do not exist. Men make a god of their imagination, and most of the time, it's themselves. Mainly, self becomes their god. In Psalm 50, the psalmist wrote, The mighty God, even the Lord, hath spoken. And what did he say? What did God say? He said, These things hast thou done, and I kept silence. Thou thoughtest, you imagined, that I was altogether such a one as thyself. But I'll reprove thee, and I'll set these things in order before thine eyes. Now, by nature, naturally speaking, all of us, all of us, the best of us, every man and woman at his or her best state, is altogether vain, altogether vanity, altogether completely holy and singularly vanity. And the word vanity, of which all of us altogether are, means empty and unsatisfactory, full of self-conceit, self-obsession, self-love, and self-admiration. Self. Narcissism, self-love, egotism, uh, pride, haughtiness, arrogance, pretension, and the list just goes on and on. We imagine God to be like us. We imagine ourselves to be like God. The biggest idol in the world today, I believe, is self. And we again and again imagine God to be like us when He's the complete opposite of us. God's holy, we're unholy. 
God is righteous, we're unrighteous. God is right, we're wrong. God is love and we're hateful by nature. God is merciful and gracious and we're unmerciful and gracious. God is forgiving and we're unforgiving. And if we don't see ourselves as these things, then we've yet to see what we are in God's sight. You know, uh, we'll never see the need of salvation. Redemption, that salvation and redemption that only Christ can provide for us. And that's what redemption is. It's the saving, the freeing from sin. <laughs> to be free of sin. What redemption, what salvation that is. It's the recovery of what we've lost. It's the exchange of one thing for another. It's the paying back or the paying off or the, the clearing, the fulfillment of our sin debt. The pain in full of our wages of sin. It's the satisfying. It's the carrying out. It's the achievement. It's the squaring of debt, as we say, to the law and justice of God. And every true child of God will admit that they're vain sinners. We, we uh, who have made themselves nothing short of idols. And we worship ourselves, when, and when we worship ourselves, we think that we can obtain this redemption, this salvation, by something that we ourselves do. There are many people that think they're believing in Christ is what saves them, but something happened before we believed. God had to first give us life. The repeated actions of Israel's idol worship is the proof that we cannot do anything for ourselves and that we need the judge, we need the deliverer, we need the Lord Jesus Christ. And you know, we need to stop comparing ourselves with one another. We need to set our standards higher than that. And we need to ask God to show us what we are in His sight. And God says, be ye holy as I am holy. Now, how are we going to accomplish that? How are we going to do that? Well, we aren't. Only God can. Only God can. That's what the book of Judges is teaching us, is all the book of God does. And until God reveals that to us, we will again and again and again be delivered to our enemies of whom the last enemy is death and eternal everlasting spiritual death. As we will see in the story of Samson, the same thing as with the other 11 judges that we've looked at, God's judges, God's deliverers, those whom God was pleased to use to deliver Israel, to raise up. They, along with us, need the judge. They need the deliverer. They needed the Lord Jesus Christ, like Israel, who pictures us so well in the Old Testament Scriptures. You and I, who are idolaters, who commit idolatry over and over and over again, they picture us so well. And you know, every time we start a new chapter or a new story in the book of Judges, it says what verse 1 says, they did evil again. That's us. We do evil again over and over and over. 
until the Lord delivers us from ourselves, we'll never have peace and rest. And if not, we too will be delivered in the hand of our enemies for much longer than 40 years. Friends, these things were written for our learning. That's what the Old Testament, that's, that's what the New Testament says about the Old. They were written aforetime for our learning. May God be pleased to teach these things to us. And, but again tonight, we see that the Lord is merciful and the Lord is gracious and He's so long-suffering with us. Aren't you glad? In Christ He is. Look at verse 2. And there was a certain man of, of, of Zorah, of the family of the uh, uh, Dantes, whose name was Manoah, and his wife was barren and bare not. I've titled this message tonight, When Christ Comes to You. When Christ Comes to You. You know, He doesn't come to everyone. And you and I certainly don't come to Him. Not until He first comes to us. Why do we love Christ? Because He first loved us. Why do we choose to have Christ as our Lord and Savior? Because He first chose us. He had to give us life. Dead man didn't choose anything. Now, did you notice that Manoah was a certain man? <laughs> and his unnamed wife was a certain woman. And the Bible over and over again tells us about certain men and women. And it came to pass that as he, Christ, was come nigh to Jericho, a certain blind man sat by the wayside begging. You know who that was, Bartimaeus. At the pool of Bethesda, the, uh, there was a certain man there who had an infirmity for 38 years. You remember what the Lord did for him? He said, rise up and walk. And he rised up and walked. Now, a certain man was sick named Lazarus of Bethany, the town of Mary and her sister Martha. And we know what the Lord did for Lazarus. He who was four days dead was raised from the dead. In Acts chapter 3, verse 2, we're told about a certain man lame from his mother's womb, never had walked. He was carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple, which is called beautiful, to ask alms of them that entered into the temple. And the Lord raised him up. There was a certain man in Caesarea called Cornelius, a centurion of the band, called the Italian man, a devout man, and one that feared God with all his house, which gave much alms to the people and prayed to God always. And we know the Lord saved him. And there said a certain man at Lystra, impotent on his feet, being a cripple from his mother's womb, that had never walked. The same heard Paul speak, who steadfastly beholding him and perceiving that he had faith to be healed, said with a loud voice, Stand upright on thy feet. And he leaped and walked. He didn't just stand, but he leaped. There are certain men and women that the Lord purposes to save, and he saves them. That word certain means specific. It means determined. It means particular. Is our redemption particular? Oh, you better believe it. You better believe it. There are certain specific, determined, particular men and women whom the Lord certainly specifically and particularly determines to save. 
And there are others whom he doesn't. A lot of folks have a problem with the Lord having mercy on whom he'll have mercy and have problems with hardening those that he, that he doesn't have mercy on. There was a certain rich man which was clothed in purple and fine linen and fared sumptuously every day. And there was a certain beggar named Lazarus which laid at the gate full of sores. And he desired to be fed with the crumbs that fell from the rich man's table. And the dogs came and licked his sores. And it came to pass that the beggar died and was carried by the angels into Abraham's bosom. And the rich man also died. You see, death's coming for all of us. And he was buried. And you know the rest of that story. But a certain man named Ananias, you remember him in Acts chapter 5, with Sapphira, his wife, sold a possession. They kept back part of the price. God knows everything. God sees everything. We're not hiding anything from him. In Acts 20, there's set a, in a window a certain young man being fallen into a deep sleep. And as Paul was long preaching, <laughs> he sunk down with sleep and fell down from the third loft and was taken up dead. He was a certain man. In one sense of the word, all of us are certain men and women that God saves or condemns. The real question is, which are you? All of us. The proof is found in what you do when Christ comes to you. When Christ comes to you. There was a certain man named Manoah. The name Manoah means the same thing as Noah. It means rest. Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Noah found rest in the eyes of the Lord. You see, if you've if, if the grace of God finds you, rest finds you. That's the only true rest there is in the eyes of the Lord, by the grace of the Lord. Look verse 3 again in our text. And, or, and the angel of the Lord appeared unto the woman and said unto her, Behold now, thou art barren and bearest not, but thou shalt conceive and bear a son. Now I don't want to hurry past this verse. May God be pleased to teach us something here. First, did you notice that when the Lord came and appeared, He appeared unto the woman. He didn't appear unto Manoah. What can we learn from that? From that, Well, when Christ comes, He appears only to this woman, meaning that his, He appears to His wife, his, his bride, His church. That's who the Lord comes to. Those certain men and women who are made and caused to believe and trust in Christ. Revealing Himself to be their, His bride, the church. Who is, it, who is this Lord that comes to the church? Well, you remember when the Lord asked His disciples who men and women said He was. They had several answers. You know why? Because men and women have various opinions of who Christ was. And they still do today. I hear men and women describe their Lord and I think, well, that's not my Lord. That doesn't sound anything like my Lord. That's not the Lord that this book declares. Not Him at all. I 
find it very interesting that in the scriptures, the many times the Lord made himself known to women. What a picture of Christ revealing himself to his bride, his church. Who is the Lord that, that comes to his church? Well, when that disciples answered the Lord, they said, some say that you're John the Baptist. Not the Christ, but the Messiah's forerunner. And some say that you're Elijah, that great prophet. And others say you're Jeremiah or one of the other prophets of old. And then the Lord said, who do you say that I am? You see, that's the issue. That's the issue for all of us. What think ye of Christ? Who do you say that he is? And Peter, without hesitation, said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And you remember what the Lord said? Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona. You're blessed. You're a blessed man. Why? Because flesh and blood hath not revealed this to you, but my Father, which is in heaven. And again, we see who... Who, when we, when we see who Christ is, it has to be revealed to us. You can't figure it out on your own. Naturally speaking, we think He's just like us, as we read a moment ago. And we always will, unless and until He divinely intervenes. What did the Lord tell Peter after he possessed what he believed? And I also I say also unto thee that thou art Peter, and upon this rock, upon this profession of who Christ is, I will build my church. And the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. The church, the bride to whom Christ comes, is always made to believe to, and made to trust in him as the rock the sure foundation on which we safely abide. We build our house upon the rock and the winds and storms of life can beat against it and it stands. It's upon the profession of who Christ is that the church is built. Who is he? He's the Christ. He's the anointed one. He is the Son of God and He's God the Son. He's Jesus Christ, the anointed Savior who will save His people from their sin. Not who might, not who wants to, not one who is trying to, but He shall save His people from their sin. Has this Christ come to you? Or is it another Jesus? The Scripture talks about another Jesus. Is it another Jesus in whom you trust? Do you dare venture your soul on one who's just like you? Do you dare trust in one who cannot save? We better not. No, we sing on Christ, the solid rock I stand. Why? Because other, all other ground is sinking sand. What more can be said than to you God hath said, to you who for refuge... To Jesus hath fled. We come to Christ as our only refuge. We only because He first came to us. <laughs> we didn't initiate it, God did. And we, as His wife and His bride in the church, are made willing to come 
Only after He first comes to us. Only after He gives us life. And Paul in Ephesians 5 said, this is a great mystery. But I speak concerning Christ and the church. Nevertheless, let every one of you in particular so love his wife even as himself and the wife see that she reverence her husband. Christ loves his church and she reverences him. Secondly, when God comes to us, He makes Himself known in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. Salvation's in a person. Salvation's not in a doctrine. Salvation's not in, a, in, in the doctrine of election. Salvation is not in a work that we do. Salvation is not in a will that we exert. Salvation's not even in preaching. Preaching is the means to salvation. Salvation is in the person, the Lord Jesus Christ, in the righteous work that He did for His people. It's not of Him that willeth. It's not of Him that runneth, but of God that showeth mercy. God shows us mercy, but it's only in Christ. Look down at verse 11 here in Judges 13. And Manoah arose and went after his wife, and he came to the man and said unto him, Art thou the man that speakest unto the woman? And he said, I am. I am. Moses asked, Who shall I tell them that sent me? And God said, I am that I am. Tell them that I am sent you. <laughs> the ever-present God. This, this is the Lord Jesus Christ that appeared to Manoah and his wife. Look down at verse 22. And Manoah said unto his wife, We shall surely die. Well, why? Because we've seen God. No man can see God and live. They saw God in the person of a man. He was the God-man. The Lord Jesus Christ. No man can see God and live except that man be the Lord Jesus Christ. Have you seen Christ as He really is? If if you do, then He's come to you <laughs> when Christ comes to you. It, it, it's God who initiates Christ coming to sinners. It's a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation. It's worthy to be believed. It's worthy to be bowed to. Christ came in the world to save sinners. The third thing we see here is who it is that Christ comes to save. Again, verse 3, And the angel of the Lord appeared unto the woman. Now I'm sure that Manoah's wife had prayed for a child, even though we're not told. But even if she did, that's not why the Lord came. You know, we, uh, we see it on bumper stickers and signs, you know, prayer changes things. No, it's the Lord that we pray to that changes things. Uh, Many, no doubt, in the days of the judges prayed for a child, especially for a son, because that would be who the Messiah would come. The Lord had said through the woman's seed. So every woman desired to have a son. They had hoped that their child, their son, would be the Messiah. But uh, many prayed in that day whose prayers were not answered. So... 
That's not the reason our Lord came. Our Lord's coming to a sinner. It's His doing. <laughs> Look what He tells her about herself here in verse 3. And He said unto her, Behold now, thou art barren, and bearest not, but thou shalt conceive, and bear a son. The Lord knows our need. That's why He came. He came into the world to save sinners. And He reveals to us what we are before He does. I don't know of anyone that the Lord has actually saved that that wasn't the, the order of it. He shows us what we are. We see what we need. And then He gives it to us because we beg Him for it. Manoah's wife is said not only to be barren, but described as one who bears not. That simply means that she could now nor ever, past or present, have a, a child. It immediately comes to mind all the women in the Scripture that were barren, and yet by the divine intervention of God were given great men of God as sons. And this, this is a picture of salvation being of the Lord. Salvation's of the Lord. Sarah was barren, but God gave her Isaac. Rebecca was barren, but God gave her Jacob. Hannah was barren, but God gave her Samuel. All men greatly used of God. Elizabeth, in her old age, was barren, but God gave her John called the Baptist. These were all miraculous births. But the most miraculous birth of all was the birth of Christ by a woman named Mary who was a virgin. Yet in every case, these women are examples and types of the supernatural work of the new birth by God. You know, uh, People say, I've been born again, but when you're born again, you're really born again. You're made a new creature. And old things are passed away and all things have become new. And your heart and your mind is set on Christ. He's your everything. But as many as received Him, to them gave He power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on His name, which were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. And the Word, Jesus Christ, was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory, the glory of the only begotten of the Father, who was full of grace and truth. He's full of truth. He is truth. And He is grace. Now the record of Manoah and his wife is the revelation of what salvation is. Barren. That's what we are. We're barren. No life within us. No ability to produce life within us. This is the right description of what you and I are. Barren. We're barren and we can produce nothing. There's nothing within us that can change us. We cannot come to God unless He comes to us. Religion has endeavored to change that. But God's Word still stands true. Salvation is of the Lord. 
not by works of righteousness that we do. You know, people say, you know, if you can uh, turn right and go straight and straighten up and fly right and all this, you can't do it. Can't do it no matter how hard you try. Oh, you may do it for a few minutes. <laughs> we're, we're utterly ruined. Ruined. Not slightly injured by the fall. Adam just didn't stump his toe. God said in the day that, that you disobey me, you shall surely die. And die he did. We were killed. We're spiritually dead. And you know what? Soon our flesh is going to follow. Everything about us is fouled up. We don't have the power to change it. We don't seek God for help. There's none that seeketh after God. We don't, uh, not until He comes to us. <laughs> when He comes to us and shows us what we are, reveals what we are, that we're barren and without life, then He gives us the, the want to, the will to seek Him. Made willing in the day of His power. You will not come to Christ that you might have life. What? Who made the difference? God made the difference. That's what Christ does for us when He comes to us. By nature, we're hostile to God. Our mind is enmity. That's what the word means. We will not have Him to rule over us. What about your will? I will not have Him to rule over me. I'm going to be my own boss. I'm going to be my own God. I'm going to do my own thing. He makes us willing for Him to rule over us. We're worms and maggots on the dunghill. That's not very nice. That's what God said. We're thirsty for glory and we drink iniquity like water. God is not at all in our thoughts. We openly declare, no God for me. There is no God and, uh, you know, I hear people today talk about a higher power. They think that higher power is themselves. Not God. You know, the, uh, there's something out there that's doing all this, but, it, but it's not God. I won't have Him. Ain't no God for me. I'm not going to have Him rule over me. And we're a stench in the nostrils of God. That's why Christ came to us. He determined and purposed before time ever was to be merciful to some in this horrible condition. And we can no more change our corruption than an Ethiopian can change the color of his skin or a leopard can change his spots. We're all together vanity. All together within ourselves and all together as a group. Vain. Vanity. I'm just telling you what God says. He says it about me too. Surely men of low degree are vanity and men of high degree are a lie to be laid in the balance. They are altogether lighter than vanity. We're not only altogether vanity. We're so much worse than that. We, when weighed in the balance of justice, we're found wanting. We come up short every time. 
We reek of filth and rot. We're on the dunghill. You know what a dunghill is. But when Christ comes, He raiseth up the poor out of the dust. And He lifts up the beggar from the dunghill. And what does He do with them? He sets them among princes. And to make them, He makes them. He makes them inherit the throne of glory. Makes us willing. We won't be kicking and screaming as the Lord takes us to heaven. No, we'll be going willingly and we'll be going thankfully. But He makes us inherit the throne of glory. How does the Lord do this? For the, for the pillars of the earth are the Lord's. It all belongs to Him. He can do anything and everything. <laughs> and He set the world upon them. Now that's God. That's our Lord Jesus. Our Lord can do whatsoever He's pleased to do. You know the verses. Our God's in the heavens. He's done whatsoever He's pleased to do. Whatever the Lord pleased, that did He. In, in heaven and earth and seas and all deep places, He's the Lord. He's God. He's Almighty. And until the Lord came to us, we were condemned and we were waiting execution by the law and the justice of God. We were found guilty. We were found wanting. We were condemned. Our sentence is death. Eternal death. But He raiseth up the poor out of the dust. And He lifts up the beggar from the dunghill and sets him among princes. <clears throat> Until the Lord came to us. But when the Lord comes to us, we're barren and embarrassed not. Nothing short of a sovereign God can do anything for us. Tim James said it this way, we're plumb dead, graveyard dead. <laughs> we are graveyard dead, aren't we? Manoah's wife was barren and she could do nothing about it. Neither can we. We can't do anything about it. Only God can. That's what these verses are teaching us. Manoah's wife was confronted by Christ. He appears to us today in a singular way. He, appear, he appears to our hearts. He gives us life and then faith to believe in Him. We're saved by grace through faith and that faith and that grace is God's gift to us. He gives us sight and faith through the preaching of the Word of God. And if you see Christ, you'll see what you are. And, and what will you do? You'll take sides with God against yourself. That's what you'll do when Christ comes to you. Oh, what a salvation is this, that Christ liveth in me.